Hi, we're Grace and Clara, here to shake up the world of women's health. We know firsthand how intimidating it can be to speak up when it comes to issues like your menstrual cycle or menopause. That's why we created Unprocessed, a weekly podcast where we dive into every aspect of women's health, from mental well-being to physical nutrition. We're here to ask the burning questions and encourage us all to advocate for ourselves. So get ready for some smart, cheeky and witty discussions about all things women's health. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. You have Grace and Clara in your ears and today we're delving into what is burnout with our special guest Sophie Scott. But before we dive into the chat with Sophie. I have a topic that I really want to speak to you this morning about. It's something that we've been touching on in this podcast repetitively. So it's the term around mental load and it's a bit of a buzzword at the moment. I think people are picking it up more and more, you know, and it's talking about women in particular and how much they take on the mental load of you know life in general so it's very much you know a mum who is always the one that schedules everything has to work out what's to dinner you know works out how to get the kids to all their activities is picking up dropping off every morning and then she's also probably doing work on top of that etc etc versus men (laughs) who tend to be more the followers in the relationship, I want to say. So they're the ones that, you know, will take the schedule that's been given to them and go, okay. And with maybe repeated reminders, you've got to drop Jimmy off at class today. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. So I read a great article in CNN um, on their online website about this man over in America who is a journalist. And he has decided to consciously try to stop those conversations. So that means for him, he was like, the other day I said to my wife, she was baking muffins, they smelled amazing. She pulled them out of the oven and I said to her, oh, can our daughter have this now? And he stopped and he thought, I know the answer to that. Like, that's stupid. It's just coming out of the oven. It's piping hot. She can't (laughs) eat it. Why did I even need to ask the question? Mm. And from that, there was a great discussion around men who are consciously trying to stop that, so stop asking the questions because, yes, it only takes three seconds for the woman to then go, you know, it's piping hot out of the oven, the kid doesn't need to eat it. But it's also unnecessary for her to think about it. Yeah. So it just adds again to the mental load and it's all those little things that build up that adds this mental load. And he's like, we can stop doing that as men. We can stop asking these questions. I had this conversation with Christian this week, actually. So earlier this week, he's a school teacher and he wanted me to pick his outfit. And I was like, oh, I was so angry at this moment. I was like, you're 30 years old. You can pick your own outfit for school. I'm sure you can do this. And then Mm. later that night, he's like, can you check if the chicken's cooked? And I said, like, I was like, for F's sake, can't, you're 30 years old. I can't check in on you. I can't do these little things because you're taking it away Mm. from what I'm thinking, what I'm doing and my me time. So I sat him down and I said, this is what the mental load is. It's asking those little questions that you're then distracting me or taking me away from something that I'm either need to do or enjoying to do. And I need you to just step it up. And he's like, oh, I'll try, I'll try. But I don't think he realised 
what it's a small thing, but it's actually a big thing because when women go to bed at night, so I read another um, article that says the man just goes to sleep and the woman will think, Mm. okay, I've got to do the washing, I've got to drop kids off, I've got to take the dog to the vet, I've got all these meetings at work. And that's what we're thinking as we go to sleep. (laughs) And it's true. I have caught myself doing that Mm. and men don't. So I think Mm. this whole consciously taking on the mental load is a necessity now and it's become so um, prominent Mm. in my group discussions with women saying I'm so sick of like always worrying, always caring, always managing on top of Mm. looking after the kids and working I've actually got to manage everything yeah you're managing the household or you're managing your relationship and on the other side of things it's not healthy either because you don't want to be their mum this is putting you you know but this is putting you in that role of someone who is making sure they're getting out of the door making sure that they're you know they're dressed making sure that dinner's cooked all of that kind of stuff and genuinely it's just it's exhausting and it's and and that's not helping so women are exhausted you know they're really burnt out they're starting to feel all of this and I think it comes from the way that society has been set up for so long that the woman ran the household and the man Mm -hmm. went out to work but that's no longer the case and the shift hasn't reached home so the shift mm-hmm. might have reached work and workplace, but it hasn't quite reached home. And it's also the way that I look, we're built, right, 100%. Mm-hmm. Like women do take on all of these things. We overthink things. We worry about things. You know, we're thinking generally in advance of everything, so in advance of the day, in advance of, you know, the next year, in advance of the next five years. We overthink things. And some of that, I think, isn't just on the men either to be able to take away this. So I think there's exactly the conversation you had, Grace, is so healthy to just touch them when they're doing it and go, check on the chicken. Like, why couldn't you get up and check on the chicken? What was <laughs> what was so important to you in that moment? You wanted to know what was going on with the chicken. Check on the chicken. Like, I don't care about the chicken at this point. It's Some of it's that. But then some of it's the other side of women need to consciously start to unpack a lot of their mental load. Hey, it's Grace here. Just want to quickly interrupt the episode to say it's time to start nourishing you. Join the eight-week program and get eight weeks of easy, delicious meal plans with full shopping lists. And at $5.50 or under per serve, it couldn't be more affordable to eat healthy. Each week, we'll give you a range of meals to cook that are quick and easy to prepare with minimal waste. You don't have to be a master chef to enjoy these nutritious meals. Plus fun online workouts, mentoring from industry experts, and access to our exclusive sleep school. Spots are limited. Join now. Now let's get back into the episode. Clara, I have a question for you. Have you ever felt burnt out before? Yes, definitely. (laughs) Yes, I think we can all relate to this feeling, especially because it's November. I don't know about you, but the fatigue of the year Mm. has caught up with me and Christmas is around the corner with all the stress. So I'm definitely feeling the mental Mm. load, as we just discussed, and a bit burnt out. So our guest today is called Sophie Scott, and she is a keynote speaker, and she focuses on wellness, mental health, and burnout. 
And the reason she's an expert in this industry mm. is because she was in broadcast journalism, which if anyone knows, broadcast journalism has so many deadlines that you have to hit every day. It's very rush and bush. You're kind of in fight or flight in a working environment. Mm. And then she started getting these symptoms mm. and she says in the podcast she couldn't do this beach walk in Sydney that she does all the time. She was struggling to get the energy for that. So we really dive into this a bit further with her and it's so interesting and I think it is so relevant to people at this time of year. Oh, I agree. And I saw someone the other day like post, so I'm in mother's groups and stuff, post about she was a high achiever so she was running heaps of companies and she was just at like she's like, I am burnt. Who do I see? Like how, mm. where do I go? Who do I see? Like I feel like this is something and we do delve into this. So it's something that's obviously very much spoken about in the workplace um, and how that comes across in the workplace and where it can come from. But it's also on the other side of things, we speak about how it can actually just affect, you know, stay-at-home mums, for example, that have a lot on their plate. So it is something that is just so widespread. And I think it comes from this environment that we're all in where we have just so much to do and so much. We're busy, 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 busy people and we just can't step back from that. So I think if, you know, no matter what facet in life you are in, I think you're going to get something out of this and I think it's something that's really important to talk about so that either you can see the warning signs or if you are experiencing this, you know where to go. Hi, Sophie. Thank you so much for joining today. So the question that we always ask our guests straight up is, how did you become an international keynote speaker and expert in preventing burnout and managing your well-being? So look, thank you, Clara and Grace. Thank you for having me. And this is actually my second career that I'm doing at the moment. So I've, I ended up here really the hard way, which is through my own burnout experience. Mm. And I went through a period of burnout a couple of years ago, got to know a lot about it, looked at all the research as well as going through it personally. And we can talk about the, all of the different things. And when I decided to leave my broadcast journalism career, I thought about how can I use the skills and the knowledge that I've developed over those years? And, and you know, we all have different strengths. And I wanted to think about how can I use the strengths that I've developed over those years to to in the next phase of my career and so I think we're always we can always look at our own personal experience as a way of helping others and so for me becoming a speaker on issues like burnout it was sort of a natural thing to do in some ways because I really wanted to share the knowledge that I'd learned through my own experience of burnout to help other people recognize it and hopefully not end up where I was which was feeling pretty crappy with burnout they could recognise the signs and ideally do something about it much earlier in the process. Could you share with our listeners more of your personal story? Like how did you discover that you were burnt out? What were the symptoms and signs? It's a really, it's it's quite funny. I know a professor of psychology, a psychiatry quite well, and he is one of the world experts in burnout, Professor Gordon Parker. And he rang me, this is a couple of years ago before the pandemic wanting to know if I knew anyone who had been through burnout and he went through the checklist of all the symptoms of burnout, things like being physically and emotionally exhausted, feeling quite disillusioned and disengaged, 
you're feeling like you're not making a difference anymore. And when he went through this checklist of the very specific elements of burnout, it really made me think for the first time, wow, that's exactly what I'm going through. I'd never really thought of it before. And at the same time as that was happening, I was having quite a lot of unusual physical things going wrong. I was developing a lot of dizziness and, you know, my autonomic nervous system was really not working properly. And I had all the tests to sort of rule out other things. And so when I had this conversation with this professor and then I looked at my own health and I thought, this sounds exactly like me. And then I went off to my doctors and they said, yes, this is a classic example of of feeling burnt out. And through my research and, and looking at how, because when you're feeling burnt out, the last thing you can do is a whole lot of activity or a whole lot of other things or the last thing you need is a big to-do list of things oh now here's how you get over burnout you've got to do all these things you've got you've got nothing left in the tank to to start recovering so you have to take the smaller steps possible to to get recovered from burnout and for me I wasn't able to do any exercise I wasn't able to do which I you know previously had been able to do because that physical exhaustion was just so real and for example, there's a, a, a beach not that far from where I live and there's a big promenade where you can walk from one end to the other. And when I was in the in the height of feeling burnt out, I couldn't even walk from one end to the other without having to stop and rest several times. Um, so for me, for me, that was like, you know, this is definitely something physically wrong. But it was only when I really got that list of the burnout symptoms, I was like, this is exactly what I'm going through. And Luckily, because of my background as a medical journalist, I could look at all the research to see what actually did make a difference to recovering from burnout. And they were, interestingly, a lot of the things that that we know you should do, you know, you, we know you should do meditation and try to keep your nervous system in check. But when I was feeling burnt out, there was no way I could just talk my way out of burnout. I actually had to really look at the things that were going to impact my body and impact my nervous system. And that was the way that I actually recovered by focusing on those things. No amount of thinking about it, no amount of talking about it would, was going to help. Because you have so many physical symptoms with burnout, I had to focus on those things that were going to help me you know, improve my nervous system regulation. And that's things like you know, deep breathing and meditation and, and gentle, very, very gentle exercise. And also making sure that you know, one of the studies on burnout shows that you can you can try to do everything right, but if you're not putting good boundaries in place about your work, if you're, you know, answering work emails after hours and taking phone calls and things like that, you're, you're going to undo all the other good stuff that you're doing. So putting good boundaries in place was really crucial. And then if anyone does feel like, wow, that just ticks a lot of boxes with me, one thing I would say Seeking support is really important with burnout because a lot of times, and one another factor of burnout is people feel very isolated. They feel like they're the only ones going through this and that everyone else seems to be coping and why can't they deal with it? So seeking support is really important from your family, from your colleagues, from people that care about you. Because sometimes, you know, if you if you do seek that support, you can get some help rather than feeling like you have to deal with everything by yourself. You talked about there, you know, that you thought something was physically wrong with you. 
um, and kind of the signs and symptoms of stress. So how do you go about working through actually, you know, is burnout a physical response to things or is it an emotional and how do you best go around navigating what you think might be physical symptoms and, you know, and going to a doctor and going through the medical route of going, well, I'm exhausted, mm. I'm not normally this exhausted, I can't, can't even walk down you know, to the promenade where I used to mm. walk, and that's unusual. A lot of people would seek medical help for that. So how do you go through that first diagnosis stage? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because there are certain things that you need to rule out first. So obviously that level of physical fatigue and exhaustion, you need to rule out things like, um, you know, um, iron deficiency. You know, if you're deficient in iron, and and you need to have that looked at by a doctor because it's really dangerous to just start supplementing with iron without really knowing what's going on. So make sure if you if you feel like the physical exhaustion sounds like you, things like getting your iron levels checked, getting your thyroid checked. A lot of women in particular have thyroid issues and fatigue is a big issue with particularly an underactive thyroid. So that that can be too, you know, you, you could also, depending on, your medical history be dealing with something like long COVID or MECFS, which is a, you know what they used to call um, chronic fatigue, which is if that's been going on for you know literally months and months and months, and you find any exertion makes things so much worse, um, then you've got to look rule out those sort of things. The what's and once you've sort of ruled out those physical causes, what's different, I guess, with burnout is you also have that the psychological aspects of having a, a, a usually a career that you felt felt very passionate about that you're a really hard worker or a high performer, but you do have that that element of disillusionment that you feel you're not making a difference anymore. And this is what we're seeing in a lot of healthcare workers, a lot of teachers, a lot of uh, lawyers, people working in in social justice, people who've devoted you know, their lives to a cause and they're finding it very challenging to keep up that the level of work that's needed to, to do, to, to keep doing the job they're doing. I was, in fact, reading a study that came out just recently saying um, with some nurses, one in four nurses were saying they're planning on leaving the profession within 12 months because of burnout and workload. So this is a very, very common issue and it's that, it's that, the physical symptoms. There's also the Sydney burnout study, which was done by that professor mm. I mentioned earlier, Professor Gordon Parker. That study found that a third of the people in that study with burnout showed mm. significant cognitive dysfunction. So in other words, they were having serious, you know, not just brain fog, but mm. not being able to think of what word, you know, they wanted or not being able to string two words together. And this is for people who are have been up until that point highly functioning and never having any you know memory issues or brain issues so or cognitive issues so you can see that there's quite a lot of specific problems and specific symptoms yeah. that point to burnout the other thing bef before we move on is that burnout because some people will say oh well you know you can also have depression and anxiety with burnout how do you know it's not depression which can also make you feel tired as well one of the different things is that generally when it comes to your mental health and emotional well-being with burnout the disillusionment and the negative feelings tend to be sort of limited to when you're thinking about your career or work 
and you feel you feel pretty good about the other parts of your life. So you feel you might feel good about your relationships, you might feel good about your family, you might feel good about your home life, but when it comes to your career, then you sort of feel negative. And so that is where the distinction lies. So you can, you know, burnout can cause depression and it can cause anxiety, but the difference between burnout and sort of those mental health conditions generally is if you have those, you tend to feel them most of the time about most of the things that you're dealing with, Mm. whereas burnout, it's really more you might have a great relationship with your partner and that's going really well and that's a source of joy for you and you love being with them and you feel happy when you're with them. But then when you think about going back to work, you know, Sunday comes around and you start to think, oh, God, I just don't, I can't cope with going back to work on Monday. Mm-hmm. That's a sign that it's actually the career, the job that's causing you to feel the way you are. Yeah, I mean, that statistic around one in four are going to quit nursing in the next 12 months is, it's, oh, you know, it's actually, I don't want to say a pandemic. I can't think of the word. <laughs> it sounds it's like horrifying. It's pretty scary, though, it's when you think about scary- it. It's actually going to be something that affects society as a whole. So it's not going to be something that just affects the profession. It has, you know, massive ramifications if one in four nurses are out of jobs. So how do we as a workforce sort of start to protect people around burnout? Um, And how do we start to look after people when we're starting to head towards that direction? And on on the flip side, is there any early indicators that you feel um, you start to see that can kind of flip that around for yourself as well? So internally you can, you know, make a shift earlier rather than getting to the point of burnout? Yeah, so let's take that first point, the first question about mm. say you're a manager, how could you help your team? So I think I'm, I do a lot of workshops on leadership for people now. And one of the key things I say to people is leaders often and managers often underestimate the impact that they're having on the people around them, their team. So as a leader and a manager, the best thing that you can do is to lead by example. So, and by leading by example, I mean, that that means that you make your health and well-being a priority so that the staff and the team members see you putting boundaries in place, that you're taking time to look after your physical and mental health. Because what that does is that says, I'm looking after myself. And so it gives your team members permission to do the same. Mm. You know, even without having to be obvious and say, you need to look after yourself. Another thing that can be really helpful is to tackle the issue as a group. So, you know, talk about, see it as a shared experience, looking after your well-being and self-care is something that, that everyone in the team needs to be thinking about. So making sure it might be something that people can opt into, like you could say, you know, rather than having a a meeting, why don't we just do a walk and, and, you know, let's get as many team members together as we can and just just do a walk and talk. Or, you know, instead of meeting at the the pub for a drink, why don't we do something that's going to be a little bit more um, beneficial for our well-being if people are up to it. I think the other thing, so setting a good example, um, tackling the issues as a group, and I think the other thing is showing compassion for if you if you see that some of your team members are struggling and maybe becoming a bit disengaged, look for that look for that disengagement that I talked about. Someone who's been maybe one of your highest performers or a really hard worker is all of a sudden looking like they're not caring as much about what they do or they're finding work that should have been easy for them is becoming more challenging. I think it'd be, it's good to check in with them and just say, 
I just wanted to make sure you're getting the support you need. I want to check in with your workloads and see how you're going. And some of those, sometimes having those conversations, that can be make the difference in that person going fully into burnout or going, actually, I am struggling. I'm finding things really challenging at the moment. I would love some extra help if possible. And I'd love to be able to delegate something because I'm just not feeling like I'm coping with the level of work I've got right now. And then if managers can lean in and talk to their staff like that, it's so much, it makes it so much easier for staff to then speak up and say, you know what, I really am struggling. And I'm so glad you raised this because I've been wanting to talk to you about it for ages. And then for you, the second part was what are the signs that you might see? Yeah, for me, it was those that feeling of being so overwhelmed, you know, when you feel like you have so much on your to-do list, so many responsibilities, you can't, and you think, how am I possibly going to get through all this? There's absolutely no way I'm going to be able to get through it all. And and there are some really good tools and techniques you can use to sort of get everything out of your head, you know, that mental load that we all carry around, get it out of your head and onto paper. I find that a really good step to just write everything down. I love what they call the Eisenhower matrix where you write down what what's both, you know, urgent and important. And then if it falls into the urgent and important category, that's what you need to tackle. The other thing I think sometimes if you if you ask yourself if there's if there's one thing that I have to get done today, just one thing, mm-hmm. what is the thing that I I don't want to go to sleep without that one thing being done? And just prioritize things in order of priority because often we write a big to-do list and then we think oh, it's all got to be done and, and it's what, what I call the urgency fallacy that we think everything has to be done urgently. And the thing with that is if everything is urgent, then nothing's urgent. And the, the, the fact is there are some things that do have a time frame that do need to be done more quickly and other things you can just, you can wait. You can put it off mm. for an hour, a couple of days. And that's one of the things I had to train myself getting out of having, when I was working in broadcast journalism, you have hourly deadlines, you know, where you're like, that's got to be filed by midday for the midday news. Can you have that ready? That story needs to go to air at midday. Mm. From that to like, you know, I don't need to respond to that email straight away. Now I can take my time and say, I'm going to have a think about it and I'll respond later today or maybe even tomorrow rather than thinking everything's urgent. Because if you do have that sense of urgency all the time, it puts your nervous system into that fight or flight state where you're having cortisol and adrenaline pumping through you and that's just not conducive to feeling calm and relaxed. So the way the body's meant to work is that something stressful happens and we react or respond to it and that makes your nervous system go you know, up and you have adrenaline and cortisol, but then you come back down to a more relaxed and, and regulated state of your nervous system. And that's the way our body's meant to, to, to work it's like the process of homeostasis where something happens, but then you go back into balance. But if you are feeling burnt out or even or chronically stressed, you're in that fight or flight state in your nervous system constantly, and you have these hormones, the cortisol and adrenaline pumping through you constantly. And often people will say, I find it really hard to relax on the weekend. Or when I'm on holidays, I can't relax until about a week or two into my holidays. That's a sign that you're You've got this adrenaline and cortisol pumping all the time. And if you have that consistently over long periods, that then can switch you over into burnout, that chronic stress and all those hormones just pumping through you all the time. So that can be a bit of a sign too. If you find it really hard to switch off on weekends, 
or relax or you just get sort of, you know, jittery, you just can't sit down, you, you're always needing to be on the go all the time, that can be a sign that your nervous system is stuck in that fight or flight. And the next step after that, when it's been stuck there for too long, is it, is it starts to crash and goes into burnout and you're just feeling really, really crappy. So there's a few little signs you can look out for, both individually and also if you're a team leader or manager, so that hopefully people won't end up in that state. So we've spoken about um, burnout in terms of the workforce, but have you seen instances where people are burnt out in other ways, just, you know, in daily life or uh, family life? Because, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people that maybe are stay-at-home mums that still we might be facing those kind of same symptoms. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Look, all the sort of evidence-based research has mainly been done in the workplace setting, mm. but there's definitely, and there's a little bit, there's some research coming through now about things like caregiver burnout. So, you know, we know that that's definitely real and we know that parental burnout is definitely real as well. Mm. And I think if you think about, if you go back to what those original symptoms that we talked about, particularly, you know, obviously, you know, parents, you can feel that that physical exhaustion of being a parent Mm. and being really busy. And I've got four boys and I remember when they were younger how full on it was. (sighs) But I think also that sense of, you know, with burnout, you feel like you're not making a difference and you're not achieving what you want to achieve. And that can definitely happen with parental burnout as well. Mm. People can think, I'm so tired, I'm so exhausted, you know, I don't, I don't feel like what I'm doing is working and it's not making a difference. And that's where if people can recognise the signs that they are feeling burnt out, even mm. when it comes to parenting, and that's where the looking for support and asking for support is really crucial because you know, it is hard, you know, it's hard work being a parent, whether you're a stay at home or whether you go out to work, they're both, it's both intense and both full on. And so it's, and it's very challenging if you, to do it on your own. So finding people who are, if you, if you don't have friends and family that can support you, then at least finding people who are going through something similar. So, you know, that's why, you know, parents groups can be amazing. If you're, if you've got a new baby or like a young baby and you're at home at the moment, a, a parents group where you can go and talk about what you're going through and then you realise that you're not the only person going through that, that there's a whole lot of other people going through exactly the same. I think finding that tribe and that community can be really helpful for people if you're feeling like you're going through something rather than thinking that you have to manage it on your own and that can be very validating for people. And then what are some simple practices that our listeners can add into their daily routines that can help prevent burnout? Since going through my own burnout experience, so recommitting to those good habits that I put into practice when I was recovering from burnout is something that I still do pretty much every day. So that's doing meditation as soon as I wake up in the morning I've got um, there's a couple of apps that I love so there's um, Insight Timer which is the world's biggest meditation app completely free and I've got meditations on there but you can listen to any number of teachers and they've got beautiful meditations so I try to I aim to do that and I do do that as soon as I wake up every day just for 10 minutes you know not an hour but just 10 minutes and then the other thing that I really commit to is movement. And it's not really about exercise per se. If all you feel up to doing is doing some stretching or some, you know, tai chi or some yoga, 
or going for a walk, I think we need to listen to our bodies. You know, sometimes another thing that really helped me when it came to movement was getting out of that all or nothing mindset. I was always like, oh, if I'm not going to the gym and flogging myself, what's the point? And then I realized when you when I couldn't do that, I, I saw the value in just doing 10 minutes of something gentle. 10 minutes of something is better than nothing. And, you know, then as you get stronger and healthier, you can build up if you want to, but you might just be happy sticking with 10 minutes a day. That might be what works for you. And don't don't be too hard on yourself because that's going to serve you really well to have that habit built in. And then the other part is is connection. You know, I think a lot of us, we're sort of dealing with an, a loneliness epidemic at the moment. And mm. like I said before, burnt, if you're feeling burnt out, you can feel very isolated. So making sure you you have that connection with people that you really care about, that you have a, a sense of community with, and it might be people online, it might be people in real life or a combination of the two. And I think that's something that we need to seek out and not just assume that it's going to come to us. You know, like I think maybe when you're younger and, and you're in school, you've got like a friendship group sort of built in and even at university it's all sort of there. But when you get older, even in your, you know, mid-20s and onwards, you have to actually sort of seek out those opportunities to connect with people that share the same values as you and that like the same things that you do. And, you know, one of the things that that I found is if you have things that matter to you, finding people who care about the same things means you're probably going to get on with them. You know, like if it's something, if you're passionate about the environment, then and you spend time with people on the weekend who love caring for the bush and cleaning up the bush, you're probably going to get on with those people because you share similar interests. And the same with me, like I am now really passionate about physical movement. And so I found a really great group of women that I do exercise with and classes and we play really, you know, daggy music from the 80s, but it's a, still a really good workout. But I really enjoy their company as well mm. because they have the same interests and values that I have. So finding that sense of connection and community is very important, particularly if you are feeling like you are heading towards burnout and you may not, you may have had that in your work and you don't have it anymore. So you need to think where else can I find that sense of connection? Because we just know how important connection is for our well-being. There was a great study this year from Harvard University that found the quality of our relationships is the number one predictor of both your physical and mental well-being. Mm -hmm. So the quality of your relationships, you know, have you got people that you can ring up at three in the morning if something goes wrong? You need to focus on the quality of those relationships because that's what keeps you emotionally well and that's what keeps us physically well as well, which is a fascinating study that was done this they followed a number of families since the 1930s and looked at what was the biggest predictor of people's health and health, physical health, as well as happiness. And it was our relationships. So we need to be thinking about how we prioritize that rather than putting it at the bottom of our to-do list. I am guilty of doing that. You know, when you get a text from a friend, it's like, oh, I'll reply. And then it's six weeks later and you're like, oops. <laughs> Still reply. Even six weeks later. Because I think often we underestimate the impact that if we reach out to someone and just say that person that texted you six weeks ago, if you just picked up picked up the phone and rang them and said, oh, look, I didn't, I forgot to reply to your text, but I was thinking about you. I just wanted to ring and say hi. That, that person might be so happy to hear from you. We're not, and, and 
you know, they obviously, we often think, oh, we don't want to interrupt, we don't want to intrude on them, mm-hmm. they might be busy, but nine times out of ten they'll be so happy that you've rung them and you've made the effort. And I think that's what I mean about we have to actively choose to prioritise connection. We can't just assume it's going to happen. Yeah, I do. I also, like, I mean, that resonates with me. I think it's it's a lot harder to make friends when you're older and, you know, yeah. going through certain life cycles as well. Once you, once friends start having kids and then if you're not on the exact same journey as them, so your kids aren't quite the same age, you just start drifting apart. And it's totally unintentional, but you do just start drifting apart because life gets so busy and it is, it's something that, you know, it's really key to be able to have people around during all life moments. But it's not just your partner. I think that's, exactly. yeah. that's also really healthy for both of you to have other avenues and other outlets as well. It really is. And I think you're right. And I think, you know, when you've got young, when you've got kids, you tend to mm. spend a lot of time doing what they want and taking them to sport and you get to know the parents whatever sport they're playing but I think and that's all great and it's you know lots of people make friends that way but I think also finding people who are have those same interests that you have and that and that then you're not just there as a parent that you're there as you mm-hmm. a person you know that and then that's when you really find that sense of community with people and it can be for all different reasons you know like I know one of the things I've over the last couple of years given up alcohol and so there's an amazing community of of women in particular who have chosen to not have alcohol and who are really they're not um they don't criticize people who do it's not judging people who choose to drink but they're actually really empowered by their decision not to drink and they find a great sense of community with other women who've chosen the same journey and that can just be one one outlet for people so thinking about what matters to you and and how you can find people who might have the same thoughts, the same values, and then you get that sense of connection and community that you might not otherwise have. Sophie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. And for all our listeners who want to learn a little bit more about burnout, we'll put links in our show notes below. Like this podcast, please give us a five-star review and share it with someone who you think would benefit from it. We want to help as many people as possible live healthier lives. This podcast is general in nature. We aren't doctors or health practitioners. But if this podcast has prompted something for you, we really encourage you to make an appointment with your health practitioner and get advice that is tailored to you. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples.